Well, um, today is the uh, third week in this series on the Sabbath, and, and uh, it is actually the last Sunday that we're going to be talking about the Sabbath, and I was struggling a little bit because I know that with any sermon series by the third or fourth week, it could kind of get repetitive, and you might start thinking to yourself, should I even come out for this? I can probably just listen to it on the website, and I was struggling a little bit, trying to make sure that I'm not being repetitive here, and that um, this doesn't sound like a broken record, but then I began to think, and to myself that as a pastor, if I were to just personally walk with you through the scriptures beginning in Genesis about Sabbath, I began to realize that God says so much about Sabbath. I began to realize that I don't have to worry about repeating myself because God kind of, already, God kind of does it himself. God repeats himself over and over again in his own word in the Bible, in the scriptures concerning Sabbath. It begins in Genesis, even chapter 2. Kind of the opening chapters of, of his word, it, it, it talks about how God cre- uh, creates the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and he made it holy. And then it appears again in the, in, in the book of Exodus chapter 16. This is when God had freed the Israelites out of slavery, uh, away from Pharaoh, and now they're kind of on their way to the promised land, but they run into a place in the desert with no food and no water. And do you guys remember this story where, where God would uh, rain down from heaven bread? They called it manna, right, which in Hebrew just means what is it because they didn't know what it was, and that's what they called it. They called it what is it. And, and bread would come down, and God would say every single day, go out and gather as much bread as you need, right? And then he said on the sixth day, gather a double portion because on the seventh day, it should be a Sabbath and you shall not gather bread. And this is actually before the law came. This is before the 10 commandments came. And then four chapters later in Exodus chapter 20, now we have the law, we have the 10 commandments and right up there with, you know, thou, you know, you shall have no other gods, no other idols, do not use God's name in vain. And that, you know, in the, in the Hebrew culture, like they wouldn't even be able to spell Yahweh fully uh, for the fear of misspelling his name. They would take out the vowels. That's how holy God's name was. And it's right up there with do not murder and and all these things. Do not steal. He puts this commandment, this fourth commandment that says take a Sabbath as as a day apart and holy to the Lord. And then in Exodus 31 is where we find ourselves today. And so over and over again, the scriptures is, is talking about this thing called the Sabbath. In the Old Testament alone, it's actually mentioned 93 times. In the New Testament, 57 times. And I say that um, just to make myself feel a little, little better on the third week of talking about Sabbath, that I'm not the one repeating myself here. But there's something about the Sabbath that God wants to keep bringing us back to, the principles of Sabbath that God wants to bring us back to, because somehow this thing sa- about Sabbath displays the glory of God, and it's also for the good of his people. There's something about the Sabbath that is incredibly important. There's principles here. There is a life here that God wants his people to not forget, to remember, that brings us to the glory of God, to the good of his people. Sabbath is all over Scripture for the simple reason that all of Scripture points to Jesus. So Sabbath actually points us to Jesus. If you guys were here on this, the first week when we launched this series on the Sabbath and the tagline, where do you find your rest? The idea of Sabbath for us to teach the church was, was to, 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 to share with you all that 
that Sabbath was not the same thing as a vacation day or just to take a day off from work. In fact, Sabbath is not ultimately to experience the absence of work, but ultimately to experience the presence of Jesus. It's to get us away from the things that can really enslave us and cause addictions in our lives and to free us from that to then bring us back to Jesus. To have a day in the week that is different from all the other days in the week in which we're producing constantly. To have a rhythm in your week. To not be legalistic of whether it's on the Sunday or the Saturday. To not be legalistic about how many hours it should be. But to have a rhythm in your week with the intention of giving God all our attention. That's the Sabbath. We have a rhythm in our week that says, you know what? My week and, and my month and my years are not to be wasted upon my work, but to be lived out because of the work that God has already done for me. To have a rhythm in your week with the intention of giving God all our attention. The context here is uh, in Exodus chapter 31, if you guys um, may be new to the scriptures or, or haven't come across this passage yet, uh, this is past the Ten Commandments now. What we find in Exodus 25 to 31 in those six chapters is God giving instructions uh, to Moses to build this thing called a tabernacle. It was kind of this portable church, right? Kind of this... Um, uh, a portable building in which that, that would move as the people of Israel would move. It was this building in which God would meet with the people there. The tabernacle was this dwelling place of God, that God would tabernacle himself in this place called the tabernacle, and God would give some, some incredible, uh, specific instructions to Moses on how he would want this tabernacle to be built. The context of, of this is that the creation of the tabernacle of God where he would meet with his people, uh, scholars would say that this tabernacle creation in Exodus has the same rhythm as God's creation in Genesis. This creation of the tabernacle in Exodus has the same rhythm of God's creation in Genesis. And what scholars mean by that is when you look at Genesis, God, uh, you know, every single day, the, the Lord said, the Lord said, and, and it was so, and it was good. And then on the seventh day, he rested. When you look at Exodus 25 to 31, and the building or the creation of the tabernacle, what God is doing is he's instructing Moses, and you're going to see that there's actually seven speeches. And they all, there are seven instructions. They all begin with, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, beginning in chapter 25 through 31. And every time God says, the, or the Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, there was a specific set of instructions on how to go about creating the tabernacle. And what's interesting is, is that there are six instructions that begin with the Lord said to Moses on how to build a tabernacle. And then after it was all done, the seventh speech, the seventh instruction referring to maybe even the seventh day of creation. The seventh instruction to Moses is what we find in Exodus 31 today. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. 
And so what scholars are saying is that um, this corresponds to the seven days of creation in which God rested on the seventh day and made it holy. And now he's, because of the fall, now he's doing a, a recreation, a new work with the people of God. And now God is using man to build this tabernacle, which he's going to meet. And so there are six instructions and, uh, of how to build it. But the seventh instruction, kind of like the seventh day of creation, is to say, Take a Sabbath. This tabernacle was 45 uh, uh, feet long and 15 feet high and 15 feet wide. It was uh, uh, divided by the place called the Holy Place and the Most Holy Place. The, the Ark of, of the Covenant was there. It was the dwelling place of God. And it was significant because this was where Israel would know that this is where we worship God and we come to the presence of God and that God would actually want to meet with us. And, and this is where weekly worship would, would happen But the seventh instruction is just as important as the other instructions of building the tabernacle, which is to keep my Sabbath. And in Exodus 31, verse 12, he says, The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. And and, then this is what it says here. "For For this is a sign. For this is a sign. If you have your Bibles or if you are one of those that takes notes and underlines and highlights, this is one to highlight or underline. For this is a sign. It is, this is not mentioned in the, in the Ten Commandments, but this is in Exodus 31. When it's talking about Sabbath, that it is a sign between me, meaning God and you, throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So in the first week uh, of this series, we, we've, we learned about Sabbath and how it shapes our worship to the Lord, right? Brings us to Jesus and causes us to, to worship him again. Last week, um, Pastor Brian came in. He spoke about how Sabbath uh, shapes our work and, and how it frees us from work becoming our identity and our significance and meaning in life. And especially, I think, uh, for people that live in the city, when in the, within the hustle and bustle, we, we, we define our lives in a different way than the world does. And, but today, what we're going to talk about is not Sabbath and worship or Sabbath and work, but Sabbath and witness. Sabbath and witness. And I would even say Sabbath as witness. Sabbath as witness. Because he says, this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. And so this is a sign between God and his people. I think there's a lot of different ways to go about how to, how to interpret that. But I think at the very least, what it teaches us about the Sabbath is that Sabbath holds a very special place in the covenant relationship with God. That God, through the Sabbath, is showing Israel, showing his people, and I would say now to showing his church, saying, hey, I have favor on you. I have, I have a great blessing for you. I have a favor upon you. And he distinguishes them from all the other people. And he, he sets apart Israel so that Israel can know God and to know him deeply. And so today I want to talk to you guys about Sabbath as witness. And there's really just two main points here. And the first point is this, that the Sabbath allows us to witness. Sabbath allows us to witness. There's something about the Sabbath that God wants us to see and God wants us to experience. I think I can speak for a lot of us whose lives are consumed uh, day after day. Think about what you see and experience every single day. But when you think about the sum of your week, what do you experience? What are you looking at? What are you taking in? Well, what, what's your day kind of wrapped up around? 
right? We, we can probably say that most of us, a lot of us, not all, but a lot of us, are, our days are over the computer screens. I mean, just think about how many hours throughout the week we're on just the monitor. And not just about how bad that is for our posture or eye, you know, our sight or, or whatever it is, but just think about how we're, we're so fixated on our computer screens and our monitors when seeing emails and replying and, 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 and looking for responses, uh, to-do lists that we have to do, schedules, deadlines. Uh, some of us in the, the art world, you know, whether it's drawing or graphics or just looking at um, pictures, flow charts, you know, or we're in the health field seeing patients in the academic world, seeing students and all these things, just dealing with people. Sabbath is a way of God redirecting, redirecting our attention from all of that. And not to say that all of that is not good. It's, it's actually good for us. It's actually good to work. It's good to be productive and fruitful in those areas, which is why God doesn't say take seven days as a Sabbath, right? But to say that that shouldn't be our whole life. And so God redirects our attention to see and experience something else. On that particular time, we call Sabbath one day in seven that shapes our delight again in God. I don't know when's the last time you spent five hours on email and you walked away saying, man, I love the Lord. Or you're looking at graphics and flow charts and you're seeing patients all day and you just, and you walked away just being so revived and refreshed and restored. You probably, for most of us, walk away feeling drained and thinking about, man, I can't wait to go home. We're checking when is it, 5 p.m., amen? Or we're thinking about, well, what are we going to, um, you know, eat tonight? And how can I, how can I kind of uh, wind down tonight and all these things? And Sabbath was God's way of setting this rhythm in our life when we don't have to rely on those things because That's not where our true rest comes from. Sabbath is a way of God redirecting our attention to see and experience who he is, right? When you think about when Sabbath was first introduced in in Genesis, that God, you know, in six days created the heavens and the earth, and he created Adam and Eve, and on the seventh, God rested, and and he made it holy. That's the concept of Sabbath there. And, And God wasn't taking a weekly Sabbath because um, this is before the fall. God, God took just one day to rest, and, and that was it. And the reason why he, he rested and he didn't, he, there was no implication that he's going to go back to work. And the reason for that is after six days, God had finished. He completed his work. And I want you to think about the context of where Adam and Eve were created. Adam and Eve were not created on the first day, and, and God said, all right, hey, we have a lot of work to do here. We're gonna, we need some mountains. We need, the, we need the stars. We need the moon, and we need the sun. We need some water. We need some trees. God created Adam and Eve at the very end when all of creation, everything else was already in place. The food was already there. Trees were already there. Water was already there. Sunlight was already there. The moon and the stars were already there. And God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. And then the Bible says that God rested. And so here's what I'm trying to say. When Adam and Eve first woke up, their first full day, guess what day that was? It wasn't a day where God is saying, you have so much to do. Adam and Eve didn't wake up that first day thinking, Bert, like I, I have schedules, I have deadlines, I have projects, I have, I have to produce something here. They didn't wake up with burden. They didn't wake up feeling like I don't have enough. They woke up 
Adam and Eve on their first full day woke up in this extravagant abundance of what God had created. And Adam and Eve woke up in a world that was flourishing. Does that make sense? And what God is saying is, by him resting, it's not saying that he is now fatigued and tired as if God was sweating and somehow limited in his capacity to do work. It was, that, it was as if to say that God had completed his work. And now, Adam and Eve, it's almost as if God is saying, come and enjoy and partner with me all that God has already done. Adam and Eve woke up they didn't have to ask, God, God, you, I feel like I have to do more. I feel like I have to get something done. Isn't that how we wake up a lot of times? We always feel like there's something that I haven't quite yet got done. We, we feel like we, 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 sometimes we wake up and we feel like we're, we're not as accomplished. We compare ourselves to other people and we keep wanting to climb up the ladder. Adam and Eve on that first day didn't wake up to that. They woke up to an abundant life. They woke up to a life in which they can rest in God. And that rest in God, the approval of God, that love of God, that that unhindered fellowship with God would allow them to fill the earth and be fruitful and multiply with joy and delight, not a burden. And I want you to think about what is it that, that that God wanted Adam and Eve to see What is it that God wanted Adam and Eve to witness on the first day that they were alive on earth? You know what it is? That God wanted them to see the completed, finished work of God. And you know what Sabbath does? It brings us back away from all the unfinished work that we think we have to do. And it brings us back to see the finished work of God. To see that even if I don't do all these things, there is still one who is in control. And even if I go to bed tonight, there is one who is still at work. To to help us to see that which we cannot see, we don't understand the beauty of Sabbath. In Sabbath, one of the more practical questions I think we should ask God is, and for those of you who, who, who feel just you know, challenged and um, feel like the Lord is directing you to, to apply this in your life, this is one of the questions I would ask you to ask God. Would you ask him, God, what do you want me to take my eyes off of today and what do you want me to see? In this Sabbath moment, for those of you parents or, you know, you've got tons of responsibilities and, and maybe we can't have a full Sabbath day, but maybe we can find a half a day or a few hours Sabbath moment and sections of our day. I would ask you in that moment, ask God, God, what would you have me take my eyes off of and what do you want me to see? What do you want me to witness? What do you want me to experience? And I think he would bring you back to see that God has already done, that his work is more important than ours. What is it that you have already finished and completed for me, God, that I keep losing sleep over and can't rest because I feel like it depends on me? 
And I think a lot of the re- a, a, a big reason why we can't Sabbath and we have a hard time finding moments where we just give our time to the Lord and um, whether it's with family or by ourselves or with people or by ourselves, I think it's because we feel like there's so much that depends on me, right? Like if I don't do this, if I don't do more, it, then things are gonna fall apart and fall through the cracks. And I think Sabbath is a way to see that, that everything does not depend on me because I'm not God. Sabbath was a way in in which we can trust that God is God, that he is good. See, Sabbath was meant for us to see and experience and to, for us to witness God's finished and complete work in our lives because of what Christ has done on the cross. And remember that Christ, when he died upon the cross, one of his last things he said is, it is finished. It is finished. That God in Christ, through the cross, has paid for, first of all, all of my sins, all my sins, that I am perfectly loved by God because of Christ, not because I have a degree, not because I have a job, not because I have a savings, not because I have a good family, not because I'm moral, but I'm perfectly loved by God because of his finished work on the cross, and by faith in him, he has secured my eternity with him in heaven, my future is is bright, my future is beautiful, my future is full of hope, and if God can take care of my eternity, then God can surely take care of my temporary. How foolish it is to think that God can secure our eternity with him, and somehow that we have to control our temporary here on earth. If God can secure our eternity, God can secure our temporary That God would be the one to lead you in your work. That God would be the one to lead you as parents. That God would begin to lead you as students. That God would begin to lead you and be the center of all that you do. Where it's not dependent on you because you are not God. That means those who have trusted God, trusted in Christ... That we can cast all of our burdens and all of our anxieties and all of our striving, all of our works and all of our self-righteousness because Christ lives in me and everything does not depend on me. And I don't have to keep doing this or keep doing that. That's why we can rest. That's why we can enjoy a long nap if that's what you need. A day in God's creation if that's what you need. A day with the kids or the family if that's what you need. A day in which we can be free from the things that can so easily enslave us. Sabbath was made for us to witness weekly again and again to see that God is good. See, church, that's what we ought to experience on Sabbath. If we don't experience that on Sabbath, and it's not Sabbath that we have, it's like a, it's just a vacation that we have. See, it should at the end of the day make us say God is good. Sabbath should make us say God is good. And Jesus is beautiful. In Exodus 31, he goes on and in verse 13 says, You are to speak to the people of Israel, you know, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. He says, That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That you may know. That you may know. This is not just head knowledge, but a relational intimacy that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sabbath was for us to not only witness God's 
completed and finished work. Sabbath was for us to witness and to know God deeply, to sanctify us and to make us holy. The reason why Sabbath and, uh, and a holiday are different, some of us, we, we think it's the same thing. We think, oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm just going to call that a Sabbath. Like July 4th is a Sabbath. It's not. July 4th is a holiday, right? But the, the, what makes Sabbath very different is this, is that holidays can make us happy. Amen? Like, I'm happy just thinking about holiday. Holidays can make us extremely happy. You know, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we need a holiday from the holiday. But holidays can make us happy, but holidays can never make us holy. Only Sabbath can make us holy. In other words, only the Lord of the Sabbath can make us holy. And in holiness is a deeper happiness. See, Sabbath is what makes us holy. There's someone at work on the Sabbath. Okay, listen to this. There's someone at work on the Sabbath, and it's not us. There is someone at work on the Sabbath, and it's not us. That while we rest in God, God does a work in us. While we rest and just have this time with with God, whether it's with our family or by ourselves or in community, we're, we're, we're having a day that's different. We're having a day with intention, with our attention on God. And, and while we get to rest in God and to say, I'm not going to be a slave to my work. I'm not going to be a slave to projects and deadlines and emails and climbing up the corporate ladder. While we rest in God, God is while, all the while doing this deep work in us to help us remember who he is. See, Sabbath was for our benefit. Was for our benefit, not God's. Like Jesus says in the New Testament that, that, um, that man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. It was for Israel and for us to know God deeply and to know that he makes us holy through Sabbath. There's a scholar by the name of Peter Enns, and um, he's a, he, he has this commentary, and he writes this, Sabbath is a reminder of who God is and what his intentions are for his people. The regular keeping of Sabbath serves a purpose for our benefit to help us along in a deeper understanding of who God is. So then the question is, then who would not take a Sabbath? And again, we're not being legalistic here about which day it is or how many hours or, or what I'm supposed to do and not do. We're not... We're not there. Sabbath is for the sake of renewal and restoration with God. But the question of who would not take a Sabbath is, is the one who would not be interested in knowing God deeply. It's the one who says, my, my work will be my rest. My, the fruits of my labor will be my rest. My, my, my savings will be my rest. My reputation, my image, my fame will be my rest. My position at work, that will be my rest. The one who says that is the one who says, I don't need a Sabbath. But the one who says, I want to know God deeply, is the one who said, then I must have a Sabbath. Because Sabbath, here in Exodus 31, says It's a sign of a covenant between me and you so that you will know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sanctify you. I thought to myself, um, you know, if my wife and I told our son, four-year-old son, Benjamin, Benjamin, we're going to have a 
a day, a full day where daddy and mommy, we're not going to check our phones, we're not going to check Instagram or emails, we're not going to work um, you know, on anything, we're not going to open our laptops, we're not going to read any books, we're not going to uh, do any of that, we're going to give our full attention on you, we're going to spend the day with you, and we're going to go bike riding in the park, we're going to just hang out in, 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 uh, at, you know, in God's creation, we're going to just be, you know, just enjoy each other's company. Benjamin, right, at least right now, at four years old, he, he would not come to me and my wife and say, man, that sounds like such a burden. He would not say to us, man, that sounds so like, why would you want to do that? Like, he would not say, leave me alone. He would be so ecstatic. He would would not be able to hold his smile from ear to ear. He would be so giddy if he knew that mommy and daddy together would spend the whole day with him with undivided attention. When would it become a burden to Benjamin? Some of you guys are saying like, oh, puberty. (laughs) But it's not just puberty. You know what it is? It's something about puberty. It's, It's something about that life stage where the, the time that becomes a burden is when mom and dad aren't the most important thing. It's when friends are the most important thing. It's when, it's when sports are the most important thing. It's when video games are the most important thing. I was trying to think of the newest video game, but I, 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 the only games I know are like back in the 80s and 90s. I heard about Switch, or I don't know if that's, you know, but um, Fortnite, it's, it's, when, it's when that becomes the most important thing. Then, mom, being with mom and dad all day, that's a burden. Why would, mom and dad, don't do that, please. Why? Because something else is most important. Does that make sense? For us, we have to, we have to examine that. We have to wrestle with that and say, why would we not want to just spend an a, a, um, extended time with God and with God's creation and with God's family, with God's people? Why would we not? And I would say it's probably because something else has become ultimate. Something else has become the very source, that, that idol that we're trying to find our greatest treasure in. But St. Augustine says that our hearts are restless until, it's, it, until it finds its rest in thee. So Sabbath is a way for us to experience God and his goodness and his benefits, for us to witness and see, to, at the end of it all, to say, man, God is good, and then to enter a week knowing that God is good. But secondly, Sabbath is not just for us to witness who God is and the benefits of God, but Sabbath allows us to be a witness to the world. See, Sabbath was a sign of who Israel is in relation to all the other nations. It was a sign for the church to, to, uh, to be on, um, on display, a, a light in the world, so to speak, a city on a hill, so to speak, to the rest of the world of where the world can find rest in. The church, when it finds its rest in God, it becomes a, a, this beautiful light post to the rest of the world and a signpost saying, rest is not in your work it's not in your savings it's not in how many you know um how how much property you have or how much income you have rest is in god and finding eternal security in god and being loved and approved by god not because of what i've done but because of what he's done for me we become a witness to the world see for israel the sign of the covenant that's mentioned in Exodus 31, it's, it's a sign of God's conduct and activity toward Israel in bringing them out of Egypt and making them a people of God. 
because no other culture has such a thing as Sabbath because Israel was under slavery, which means they had no rest. And so to obey the Sabbath was a declaration to the rest of the world, to every other nation, that Israel was no longer a slave to Pharaoh, but now made children of God. And all the other nations looking in would be like, wow, what is that? How do you guys rest? And Israel would say, we rest because of God. We were slaves for 400 years. We were slaves to our schedules, to our emails, to our projects. We were slaves to comparison. We were slaves to, to, to wealth. We were slaves to, to climbing up the ladder. We were slaves to all that, but God. Amen? But God freed us from our Egypt. God delivered us. It was, it's, a, it's a witness for the world to see that we as a people in Christ, that we do not live by our works, but we live by God's. We get to be God's witness that rest, listen to this, that rest, a deep rest for your soul, comes not from our labor, but from God's love. It's a way to say to the world that rest comes not from labor, but from love. And what I mean by that is that so much of our lives and so much of the world try to find their rest in labor. That if I work hard enough, then I'll get something. And then if I get that, then I'll have rest. That if I work hard enough, that if I produce enough, then I'll have the attention or the significance or the meaning. That if I work hard enough and produce enough and create enough, and if I can, uh, if I can be influential enough, and if I can keep going and keep do, 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 then somehow it will produce something in the world that will give me my approval that I'm deeply longing for, and I'll be loved by the world that I'm deeply longing for, and that will give me my rest. And I'm telling you, That when we Sabbath, we're saying to the rest of the world that rest does not come from labor, but comes from love. It comes from God's love, knowing that even before we did anything, there's something that God has already done for us that says you are already loved, already approved, already good in Christ. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more loved or less loved by God. Have you ever noticed that our work, if you're trying to find rest in your work, that if I just work hard enough and if I just work seven days a week for the next 15 years, I'm going to retire at 45 and and then, you know, and then then I will have my rest for the next 20 years. Have you ever noticed that our work, though, is never truly finished? I I hear stories of uh, my friend's parents who spent their whole life just trying to get to retirement and for them, once they re- reached retirement, it was like the saddest thing in their life because they felt incomplete. And so they get jobs at whatever market and just trying to find minimum wage stuff, so something to do because they're trying to fulfill something through their work. You ever realize that our, our work is never truly finished? And even when you leave the office and you go, well, my, my work is done, you, you, you wait one hour and you'll get another email. And you, you go into the office the next and you realize you have tons of uh, more projects and more deadlines and more meetings and more schedules and more patience and more studying to do. And it's just never enough. And in our work, there is no rest. But in God's love, there is.
God's love there is. I truly think that there is a relationship between our schedules and our souls. How we fill our schedules affects our souls. There's this book that I thought of um, by Pastor John Orberg. I don't know if you guys know of him or heard of him. He used to be a pastor in Chicago, and, um, but now he's in um, California, and he has this book about, you know, basically about spiritual formation and how people are shaped uh, in a life with God. And um, one of his uh, great mentors is, is Dallas Willard, and he doesn't mention him in this book, but I, my guess is that it's, he's talking and referring to Dallas Willard. But John Orberg in this book, he, um, he has a chapter called The Unhurried Life, and I just want to read you a section of it, okay? He, he begins by this, with this quote by Thomas Kelly. He says, people nowadays take time far more seriously than eternity. And he goes on, he says, not long after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. I described the pace at which things tend to move in my current setting. I told him about the rhythms of our family life and about the present condition of my heart as best I could discern it. What did I need to do, I asked him, to be spiritually healthy? Long pause. And this is his response. He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate Hurry from your life. Another long pause. And he said, okay, I've written that one down, I told him, a little impatiently. That's a good one. Now what else is there? I had many things to do, and this was a long-distance conversation, so I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time possible. Another long pause. And this is his response, his mentor. He said, there is nothing else. I, just, I don't know why, but I hear like Mr. Miyagi's voice. There is nothing else, you know. <laughs> that is the goal of um, And he says, he, he is the wisest spiritual mentor I have known. And while he doesn't know every detail about every grain of sin in my life, he knows quite a bit. And from an immense quiver of spiritual sagacity, I don't know how to pronounce that word, but he drew only one arrow. He says, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Imagine for a moment that someone gave you this prescription with the warning that your life depends on it. Consider the possibility that perhaps your life does depend on it. Then he says this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. It reminds me of also Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. I'm just going to read this to you. It says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Even the scripture points us to a world that tries to find its, its rest in our labor. But he says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? In a culture where we are defined by our work and and work consumes us, Sabbath reminds us that work is not everything. Amen? Sabbath becomes this witness that God is trustworthy to take care of our every need. You might say, well, I just can't. I'm I'm not going to take a few hours or a half day or not even a full day. I'm not going to do that to just spend time with God or just to spend time with my kids without checking my emails or or, or working on a little bit here and there. I just can't do that. And and the reason is because, James, I just don't have enough time. You ever been there? I don't have enough time in the day. I don't have enough time in the week. It's never enough. And I, I just want you to know that 
We live in this world where we keep telling ourselves there's never enough time, never enough finances, never enough on our resume, there's never enough success, there's never not enough in our bank account, so we keep doing and doing and doing. And what happens is that we fail to become a beautiful witness to a God of abundance. A God, when, they, when he created Adam and Eve, came to a life of, that flourished and was abundant. In an article about Sabbath by Abram Jones, and we read this together as a church staff as we talk about Sabbath in our weekly meetings as well. He, he, um, uh, Abram Jones quotes Walter Brueggemann t- talking about these tempting assumptions as having a scarcity mentality when it comes to Sabbath. He says, there's never enough time. There's never a moment's rest. But how willing are we to practice Sabbath? A Sabbath spent catching up on chores we were too busy to do during the week is hardly a testimony to abundance. It does nothing to weaken the domain of scarcity. Honoring the Sabbath then is a form of witness. It tells the world there is enough. There is enough. And so what Sabbath does, it not only allows us to witness the benefits of God and who God is and his delights over us, and, but it allows us to be a witness to every nation and to the world, from Chicago to the ends of the earth, that rest does not come from our labor, but rest comes from God's love. The Sabbath was a way for you, for me, to remember how deeply God loves you. Sabbath was a way for, to simply put, for you, for God to say, just chill out and know that I love you. I think God might be saying that to, to some of you. Just relax and know that I love you. Stop running around and pacing around and thinking that everything depends on you. Just relax and know that I love you. And that if your eternity is secure, then this thing called life on earth is, God is saying, no problem for me. God can take care of that. May you rest in that. That God will take care of you because he's sovereign and he's good and he has a finished and completed work and once a week he's inviting you to remember that to witness to see to experience God's finished work we can rest knowing that our significance our meaning our identity does not come from what we do as much as we want that to right because we want to be able to showcase and say look what i've done Look what dad's accomplished. But our rest comes not from what we do, but who Jesus says I am and what Jesus has done on the cross. And so when we Sabbath, we are declaring to the world that the most important work is not mine, but God's. When we Sabbath, remember that. The most important work is not mine but God's. The work of the Father sending his own Son and the work of the Son not giving in to temptation, not giving in to the devil, but being obedient even to the cross. The work of the Son, Jesus, 
dying on the cross. And then when he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. And Hebrews 3, 4 then says, now there still remains a day of rest for the people of God. And when we Sabbath here on earth, it is a signpost that one day in eternity, there is eternal rest awaiting for us. May you know, as we conclude the Sabbath series, may you know that the goal of Sabbath is not the absence of work. It's to get you to to the presence of God. For you to know that the most important work is not mine, but God's. And to walk away and say, God is good. God is good. Would you bow your heads with me?